Hello and welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast, a joint effort by Forbes India and Indicast, where we talk with the authors of the cover story to get a deeper insight from them on the cover. I'm Abhishek, and joining me on the phone are the associate editors at Forbes India. We have Praveen Palande. Hi, Praveen. Hi. And a very familiar name from our previous podcast, uh, Surender. Welcome back, Surender. Yeah. Hi, Abhishek. This issue of Forbes India is particularly interesting because you know its its performance is very measurable, and I say so because. Uh, it deals with your opinion on the very fickle and fuddled nature of the stock markets. Uh, Praveen, uh, can you please do the honors for us? What's your cover about? Basically, this cover is about understanding the stock market at this point in time. Because right now, if you talk to anybody and ask what is the direction of the stock market, people will be very confused and they would not have a clear answer. Mm-hmm. They can't say whether it is going up, whether it is going down, or you won't even say that it is a sideways market. So it's there is absolutely no clarity. So out here on this cover, we are just trying to be very, very focused and clear. And anybody who reads the story should get some kind of a message that you know what could you be doing in this market. Mm-hmm. And Surinder, as I understand, you have done this exercise a year ago, right? Yeah, the year ago was fairly simple because mm-hmm. the market was about to take off. It had already fallen off the cliff, and valuation seemed very le- less compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And several stocks were actually very cheap, so it was uh, easy. And the call was the market was going to go up, and we said it up front. But this time it was a little tough, and most experts deferred whether the market would go up or not. Mm-hmm. So we had to take a call and finally tell investors something that they should do. Right, and one of those calls included your uh, decision of including 20 stocks that you think will reap enough returns for people to put their money on. And you've done that last time, and I understand from the executive editor's note to the audience that from Charles S.E.C. that last time you had picked 20 stocks and they gained 54% uh, this year. Isn't that right? Yeah, sure. They, they gained 54%, which is slightly higher than the mid-cap average, which was amongst the best-performing averages. Mm-hmm. And I again said that you know most of these stocks were not valued at their best. And since the Indian economy was growing, we knew that these stocks would go up back where they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, they gained very rapidly. And, you know, some of the stocks did gain more than 100%. Three stocks actually gained over 100% and five of them gained 70%. So now that was the good portfolio of mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. And this time we said that since readers were, for the first time, used to those 20 stocks, we said that this time also we could hit on the same idea because uh, it's an easily identifiable idea. And we put out those 20 stocks in very different sectors. Can you name uh, them? Which, are, which are the sectors that this time you think uh, will grow mm-hmm. and we must put our money on? We, we selected stocks from a very different set of parameters, stuff like infrastructure where people are investing a lot of money, financial services, where again there is a lot of traction in terms of customer acquisition. People are buying new homes. So even new financial companies want to fund people who are buying homes and uh, there is also a, a car loans are going up. Yeah. So we looked at finances, and largely it has been infrastructure and finance mm-hmm. uh, for one or two stocks that reflect the end-user industries of this finance, perhaps Asian pains for the growing home. And then we have included a stock, say, JSW Steel, because steel has been hit so badly over the last few years, and there is, again, enough traction in India for steel consumption. Right. I said that this is a great stock to own. So in this case, as I understand, uh, Surinder, is you have 
set fundamentals beat the market sentiment in the sense there is a debate uh, that generally goes on that you know what whatever happens at the end of the day we are at the mercy of uh, the foreign institutional investors who you know form the chunk of the stock market pravin i would love to get your word here what is the role of the fis in all of this when they take their money out and suddenly the stock market plunges so will all of this also hold true when fis get moody and do what they do basically the market is clearly driven by fi forces so right now like you know if the world is in trouble and uh, if the fis decide like you know it's time to move to safer haven probably go to us treasuries right. then there's going to be a problem in the indian market right. a lot of people also feel that you know if there is a problem in the world then fis would actually come to india now that is like you know that's the very interesting debate out there we really don't know what can happen because last time when there was like a huge problem in the in international markets you know everybody had moved to us treasuries now that could happen again also but there is also this other point that there is not no other market growing in this world so you know if i would keep coming to india because they really don't have much of a choice and if fis go then will indian institutions actually support this market mm-hmm. uh, the answer is uh, they can support it but how many times have they done it it has not happened in the past we don't have much evidence about it so then there are companies like lic which try and plug the gap right suddenly when uh, in 2008 well fis withdrew 48248 crores and at the same time lic which is a domestic financial institution it invested 40800 even in 2010 it has invested about 8000 odd crores as opposed to just 1000 odd that is invested by fis so in a way the domestic financial institutions do try and plug that uh, gaping margin you know there are two kinds of fis one is which bring really the fast capital which comes in and goes out mm-hmm. the rest of the fis usually buy the top stocks that actually move the indices so when they go out they exit you know large cap sectors which usually affect the sensex a lot if we think that the uh, the domestic financial institutions will come and buy the same set of stocks that might actually show up the large market indices then it may be wrong because lic or any of the domestic uh, financial institutions may already have enough of the top you know indices stocks right. therefore they may not buy that so the index uh-huh. may not be popped up and therefore you may not feel that the whole market has been popped up so we really don't know if the, the dis uh, the domestic institutional investors will actually go out there and show that they can raise the index by buying index stocks right. that's not very clear and in fact also the case that lic and other such instruments are long term investments and they're like wine rather than fis which which represent like tequila shots they come and go overnight in that uh, sense you know fis don't come and go overnight but mm-hmm. uh, when they move in a big way right. the market really gets affected you know if you, if you look at the long term fi investments many of them have held on to their core stocks for very very long periods of time but it's only when there is a crisis and then they find when they evaluate risks of different market mm-hmm. they would rather go to a known risk which is the us rather than stay out in the broad world where you don't know what might happen to the markets there right you you spoke about the us being a known risk but you know generally the the way our stock markets perform is the american stock markets get drunk and then we face a hangover the next day but when what happened with europe and dubai and in portugal spain hungary they're going through an interesting phase but this time it hasn't affected as much in india and we're already smelling the coffee so how is india different this year as compared to the past couple of years suddenly how is india quote unquote decoupled from what's happening outside is it basically you can't really call it decoupling but yes like you know there is a lot of attraction about india in the 
international market and a lot of people are coming in. If there is going to be a big problem in the outside world, it is going to affect India. I mean, overall, like, you know, there have been a lot of strong measures that have been taken to basically make this a safe and livable world for everyone. So, like, mm-hmm. people, countries are printing money, whether it is Europe, whether it is Dubai, somebody is trying to do their best to rescue these countries. So, you know, you, you can't say that, you know, we are completely decoupled. It is just that, you know, everybody is out there to help you out. So, maybe we don't see so many problems out here. Right, and also the crux of your article does state that in India now, the, the reason why we are doing good this year also is because you have picked out three factors. Surender, if you could help us with those three points that you have categorically mentioned in the report. Yeah, sure. Indian companies contracted a bit when the world fell off the cliff for obvious reasons. And therefore, they have been expanding capacity for a while. Mm -hmm. And therefore, these capacities were lying unutilized, which meant that their fixed costs were already high and committed in there. So to mitigate that and become more profitable, they had to see all this being utilized again, which is... Mm -hmm you know, sort of come up in many sectors. Like, for example, in auto, it's doing extremely well, and people actually want to expand capacity in the auto sector. Perhaps a little bit of profit can be had by increasing prices of what you sell. Say, for example, Ashok Leyland has increased the prices of its trucks by 3%, and that's going to have a positive effect on its sales. Right? This is because there is strong demand, mm-hmm. and the company is seeing that it would be able to give this a little addition to its customers, and therefore it can gain. So it can, it will also affect the top line. It will also bring a little bit of pro- more profitability. And therefore companies can perhaps say that, okay, my discounting will improve further in the market. Mm-hmm. The third thing is that since demand is growing so rapidly, companies will have to invest. And if they invest, they'll again grow their sales up and therefore make a little more money than they used to. So in the same capital, say equity capital base, they will have a larger sales and larger profits so we're seeing that also happen, say, in cases of Hero Honda or, again, automobile uh, Maruti. They want to expand capacity. And companies like Tata Motors have expanded capacities in two locations, which will add to their top line in the coming months. So those are the three things that we said will accrue to the top and bottom line. So as a reader, I see that uh, how is Indian growth different from the growth, let's say, in the U.S., is that we can measure it, see, and feel it. For example, plants, capacity utilization, products and services can be valued. But in the U.S., what happened, the growth that that was fueled a couple of years back was they were trading in some complicated financial papers and instruments like collateral debt obligations, etc. So in one way, you're talking about the infrastructure that will actually get the the country ahead. What is happening out here, like in the U.S., the biggest problem was that almost 80% of the total corporate profit, Mm -hmm. okay, if you really look at it, that was coming through the financial sector, okay. You know, it was the writing on the wall, like, you know, how can one particular sector account for the entire profits of the corporate sector? So, anybody should have been worried at that point in time. Now, if you look at India, India is a completely different story. Almost 85% of our economy is domestic and 15% is export. That really helps us at this point in time. So, you know, at the financial market level, you can get affected by the international problems. But at the macro level, all your return on capital employed that has been generated by companies is like truly coming from the domestic economy where people are actually going and buying stuff. So, these things is 
index still on. I think that has not really changed. I mean, Surendra has just pointed out, like, you know, how investments are going on and all these things and companies that have got the pricing power will do well. Mm -hmm. So that is probably the best part about the Indian economy, that, you know, our companies have the pricing power that uh, no other company in the world probably have. And even if you look at the return on capital employed or, or return on equity of Indian companies and mm -hmm. if you compare it with the emerging markets, you will see that Indian companies' return on equity is far much better than probably other emerging markets. Right. So in, in other words, you're saying that India is better off uh, the way it is right now and the way things are being carried out. And also, I guess, some of the credit goes to the regulators, which have uh, stopped certain companies to invest too much in real estate somewhere in, in places like Dubai, etc., and exposed them to the foreign uncertainties in, in one way. Again, in uh, India, as you Praveen said, the domestic story is very strong. It forms 85% of Right. Almost, you know, 85 percent of the GDP, and therefore, uh, if there are companies which are very, very strong in the Indian market, they are naturally going to grow, and there are no replacements for these companies in India. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there will be a certain set of stocks which are very strong in the Indian market, even in spaces like um, infrastructure, which is booming very rapidly. There will be great opportunities by businesses when structural changes happen and they become cheap. And that's what happened, you know, when uh, real estate stocks fell very badly, mm -hmm. they were looking debt-ridden or uh, not so good. They eventually came back up because they appeared cheap and there was no replacement for these businesses in India. You mentioned about the stocks and the businesses and I also read that you are not very gung-ho on gold. You do not recommend gold as an investing option. Uh, any particular reason for that? Uh, See, uh, in, a, in a stock story, usually buy businesses, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, go gold is a, is like almost like a real estate investment. You will buy gold, you will buy real estate, you will right. keep that. But for people who are keen on buying stocks, mm -hmm. which is, of course, a little higher risk and it requires a little bit more research, mm -hmm. they would like to know what are the kind of businesses they want to buy. I mean, they really want to invest in the growth of India. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we, we did not say that whether or not to buy it because it's too risky a decision to take. You could perhaps end up gaining a lot of money out there, but we said mm -hmm. that we will stick to stocks because this is all about stocks. Right. And in fact, you also have company. I don't know if you've read this famous quote from Warren Buffett uh, about gold. He says that, and I quote him, uh, it gets dug out of the ground in Africa or someplace. Then we melt it down, dig another hole, bury it again, and pay people to stand around guarding it. It has no utility. Anyone watching from Mars would be scratching their head. Now, surely, it's an arguable statement, but, but we'll keep that for some other day when you do cover gold as well. <laughs> Uh, from the journalism perspective, this story, you know, it's, it's devoid of jargons and uh, it is data-driven at the same time. So how challenging was the experience to write this one? Suren, this is for you because you also collaborated with Indrajit on the previous yeah. cover, which was completely different. It was about ITC and the man who heads it. So how challenging are such stories that you have done this time, you and Praveen? See, any story we would like to be absolutely clear. At the end of the day, the person who reads it should be able to form an opinion and think independently by himself, right? Mm. So naturally, we want it to be shown of any kind of jargon or any kind of complicated writing. Mm -hmm. The stock markets, especially the customers, are people who want to invest and they finally want to be told whether you have to buy a stock or you should not buy a stock. Right. It's as simple as that. So if you can put that right up front, they may not read the entire article also. You have to water it down, but also keep the interest of the expert in it so that your articles give out stuff about mm -hmm. the market and, you know, give him an understanding of what's going around. You know, there were several things that affected this story. It was too complex, mm -hmm. and a lot of people said very, very diametrically opposite things about the market. So when we sat down to put this all together, we identified just three or four criteria, and we said that we'll take the numbers and, you know, complex discussions out. Mm -hmm. And 
and that's why perhaps it reads a little more easy. Uh, and you know what, if, if someone comes up to you and says, look, even the fund managers get it wrong many a times, uh, if yeah. someone were to say that, look, as journalists, what gives you the power to say that the market will grow at this and why should we believe you? What would you oh. say to those people? Yeah, actually, you know, it's, it's absolutely wrong to say that, you know, that fund managers get it right and we get it wrong. That's <laughs> wrong. I would put it this way that, uh, you know, the fund managers have got daily pressures and they have to drive the NAV on a daily basis. They compete on a daily basis, you know. Right. Right. And, like, you know, one fund manager is always under pressure, like, you know, his NAV has gone up 2% and I'm down by 2%. So they are always on that thing and that is why at times they need to take short term bets. Right. And these short term bets can sometimes turn out very random because on a long term basis, like you know, if you are investing for like 2 years, 3 years, you have some kind of predictability to what you are buying. Right. But you know, you can buy the best of stocks and then you see that somebody else's stocks are performing better and that is why, you know, investors are buying that other fund and then you decide like, you know, even I should get in that stock. Mm -hmm. So that is what creates the problem for them. So you know, then they are probably the smartest investors, they understand what is happening in the economy, but the other forces work on them so strongly that, you know, sometimes the decisions are, I can actually use the word not rational because of these outside forces. And that is why, you know, they could possibly not perform because if you notice that over the last one year, they were not able to beat the mid-cap index. Not a single fund manager has been able to meet, beat the mid-cap index. Mm -hmm. now, I, I would just add a line here mm -hmm. saying that, look, the last year's portfolio performed about 50% for us with the 20 stocks which we, which we did. Right. And it, it happened even in the first six months. In the next six months, mm -hmm. the same portfolio did not move out at all. So therefore, you could have sold the you know the last year's portfolio in the first six or seven months. Right. And therefore, I think this time we would also try and tell people when the time comes to perhaps offload the stocks that we have recommended. Therefore, in a long-term perspective, you will feel that oh, these 20 stocks have delivered 50%. Right. But as Praveen said, the clock ticks for the fund managers day in and day out. Point taken. And, uh, you know, the fund managers, when they do well, they, they do get bonuses as well. Uh, on a lighter note, do you guys also, can, can you demand to your editor saying that, look, 54%, a pretty big deal? No, you know... <laughs> Uh, it really depends, like, you know, if there are more and more num number of people listening to our podcast, uh -huh. you know, and th that would just keep, uh, give, make our editor very confident about us. I think, like, <laughs> I don't know whether they will buy the stocks, but we just want people to listen to us. Absolutely, and this is a plea to all listeners who are listening to this. Uh, uh, you can get this podcast on the homepage of uh, business.in.com and theindicast.com as well, and I hope uh, your sequel uh, to the last year's story is as successful or perhaps better than last time. Thank you so much, Surinder and Praveen, for your time here early in the morning at 9. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.